support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Chris Kyle Photography Podcast. Last question has to be culturally how different is the switch from being from south carolina and then moving to new york uh it's a completely different world um i mean i haven't lived in south carolina in i guess 13 or 14 years now um but i, I moved to new york from tennessee um and it, it's you know opposite ends of the spectrum um new york is a completely i mean it's the biggest city in america and, um, it's very urban and uh, I'm used to grow. I grew up on the coast in South Carolina. So uh, used to space and having a lot of room. And um, so, yes, I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty different. What was it that instigated the change for you to move to New York? Uh, I actually got a, I was a chef uh, for a long time before I got into photography and I actually got a job working in New York. Um, and that's what, made the move possible um and then pretty shortly after I, I think i worked maybe six months up here and then realized that i was pretty much done with the restaurant industry after 15 years so um i took a year off to try to figure out what i wanted to do and was taking pictures in the meantime and um ended up licensing some photos in that time and that allowed me to stay for another year and some things have sort of over the last uh, nine years um, pretty steadily kind of just rolled along like one thing leading to another and lots of ups and downs, but um, I've managed to be able to make it for almost a decade in New York. Well, I had a similar thing where I started off my adult life working as a chef and I now work as a oh, photographer. Wow. Um, what was it that brought you to photography then? Because obviously it's not linked really, unless you do food photography, the link between chef yeah. and photographer is not, not particularly strong. So how did you find your way into photographing? Um, I'd always been interested in photography, um, but I never really had the time to explore it. And then I ended up having surgery on my hands, both hands and both elbows, uh, and I had to take about two months off of work. And, and I said, well, I've got the time. I, I can't do anything very physical at the moment. So I'll, I'll buy myself a camera and it'll give, give me a way to get out of the house and, and, um, something to do to sort of pass the time. And I found that I really, once I started photographing people, I, I really enjoyed it. And so I, I just sort of focused all my energy into that afterwards. I don't know if it's different in America, but certainly for me in the UK, I found that the reason I wanted to work in a kitchen as much as enjoying actually cooking was just, I wasn't particularly a people person, especially in my, in my sort of late teenage years. It's kind of a strange thing to jump from being in kind of an enclosed space. You get to know your team, you work with the same people day in, day out to then doing what you're doing now where you're interacting with people. Is it something that you always wanted to be doing where you were more of a people person or is that just part of what's come with being a photographer? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I mean, I enjoy being around people, but I also really enjoy working solo and, and, and having time to myself. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm overly extroverted. Um, I can be really introverted, but I think that that helps my photography to some extent. Um, but I do enjoy around, being around people and, and 
I think the thing that is common in both of them is every day is different. And, you know, being a chef and, and running places, um, you know, I had to interact with the customers and public facing to some extent. So I, I always enjoyed that, that aspect of it, but I can always retreat back to the kitchen when I wanted to as well. On your website, you list your, well, you, you mentioned that your wife, uh, Monique, I believe is your creative partner. Uh, how, how mm-hmm. does that work? How, how does she contribute towards what you're doing and how do you work together? Um, it's, it's not a creative partner in the, in the sense that we work on shoots together, but, uh, on a, on a commercial level, but, uh, a lot of things that we discuss idea wise or aesthetic wise, um, you know, I turn to her sometimes for editing help. Um, she's got a really great eye, um, for picking images and, and sort of seeing, finding a way to get emotion into, and, and the feeling of, of things into a picture. Uh, she also helps me style a lot of things, uh, for personal work and things like that. So, um, we, we just, we're basically like big sounding boards for each other, you know, collaborate in that way. So she's basically your like creative consultant. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that'd be a pretty good way to, to describe it. Um, I think I just gave her a promotion though. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. I first found you with an image that you took of Warren Haynes. Mm-hmm. I'd actually, I, I think I'd been following you for a while. I, I go through weird lapses with Instagram and, and other social media where I follow loads of people and then I unfollow them because they get kind of overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that I'm missing out on. But you, like you really came to my attention with uh, an image of Warren Haynes. I'm an enormous government mule fan. How is it photographing performers? Um, because obviously they're used to large crowds, they're used to attention. Does that make it easier for you to get one-on-one time and, and sort of get them to come out of their shell or does it make it harder? It depends. It depends on the, their personality. Um, Warren's kind of a reserved guy. So, um, and, and if, if it's the photo, I think you're talking about it, it's from, a, uh, from Newport Folk Festival. So there, I mean, the, these guys are getting inundated by press photos and, you know, they're sort of running a circuit of interviews and, and uh, photographs. So they're, they're sort of used to it, but, um, the challenge is to get to connect with somebody in a, in a matter of you know, three to five minutes, which is about all you get, um, with these, with, with the musicians and, <clears throat> excuse me. But, uh, you know, I've, I've seen Warren a bunch of times over the years and we're slowly getting to know each other in a, in a working sense. And, uh, the, the musicians are a little easier, I think, because they're used to performing and, and, and like the spotlight in many cases. So it's, it's, it's a little easier uh, to get a good portrait out of, out of a musician than, than say other types of people. But um, I think I'm just rambling at this point, but. <laughs> no, no, I actually, no, it's, it's really interesting because it's a, it's a world I've never really encountered because the people that I photograph generally are people that are either, so I, I do wedding photography, so I'm there and my, my job essentially is to be as unnoticed as possible. So that's a really bizarre sort of circumstance to find yourself in. And then the other half of it is I photograph people that all they want to do is be in front of a camera. So it's very hard to find people that perform, but not necessarily for a camera. They're used to performing for an audience. Right, right. Um, I, I think part of it too is, you know, I've been working with uh, the Newport Folk Festival for this would have been eight or not eight, eight years, I believe. Um, and I've been working in the music industry for about as long as well. And so over the course of the years, you sort of run into people at different festivals 
and you see them at different shows and, and so you start to build a, a, a relationship with with folks and uh, that really helps as well you know it's if they have if they remember who you are and if they've seen your work and then they're much more interested in, in being part of the process and if you're just sort of a random guy who shows up guy or girl who shows up and, and says let me take the picture but um I think you have to go into it with a bit of intent and and be able to direct people and, and tell them what you want. Uh, otherwise, they're just going to kind of sit there. And, and that's where I think things kind of become difficult for a lot of photographers is, is especially when they get with someone of, of any notoriety, they they sort of think like this person is automatically going to know what to do. But oftentimes that's not the case. And you have to really direct them and, and tell them what you want. I mean, you've pretty much segued perfectly towards what I wanted to ask, which is in all cases, but especially when you're only given those very small windows in terms of time, what is your directorial style like? How do you communicate what you're looking for as, as efficiently as possible? Um, I treat every photo shoot as a conversation. So, um, you know, after the initial greetings and things like that, it's, it's just being a, a matter of being direct and, and, uh, knowing what you want before you start the shoot is a big part of that. Um, you know, knowing how you want to light it or, or what the scene is or the mood that you want to get. And some of that depends on how your subject is reacting, what kind of mood they're in. And, it, and you have to really be able to read people um, and adjust relatively quickly. Um, you know, but when you have like three or five, three to five minutes, you, you're basically you just have to be direct and, and be polite um, yeah, and they, I think the subjects really appreciate that because they're sort of bouncing around all day long and there's sort of this, this thing that goes along with fame and starting that people just expect you to be on all the time. And yeah, at the end of the day, end of the day though, that, you know, every, they're just human beings and that, you know, they have their good days and bad days. So you have to kind of roll with it and, and the more direction that you can give and it's it, it, the better, um, and it's not like barking orders at somebody. You just have to ask and say, can you do this? Or can you turn to the left? Or I'm really looking to, to evoke this mood. Like, are you okay with that? Um, that sort of thing. Well, I've, I've heard you on, I've read and heard from you before, uh, talking about the importance of projecting confidence, um, when it comes to, uh, how to kind of I guess it would be almost assert yourself within the dynamic of being a photographer, photographing people. How do you, how do you give yourself that confidence? Because I think most creatives suffer with um, imposter syndrome or they have low days where they're not feeling as, as confident about their work. How do you keep that, that mask of confidence up? Well, in the sense of being a photographer, you're only interacting with somebody, whether it's for, five, 10 minutes or an hour or whatever, maybe a couple of hours. Um, you just have to sort of gather yourself together and say like for this period of time, I'm going to look like I know what I'm doing because if I don't, it's going to be really obvious. And then that's going to, you know, if the, per if the subject doesn't have confidence in, in your abilities, um, it's going to make this shoot really hard. And, and why should a subject put any trust in you if you don't trust yourself? Does that, does that come from a particular like reaction to something that's happened to you in the past? Did you have a circumstance where you kind of, you didn't, you didn't project confidence and a shoot got away from you and, and that's something you've had to kind of build up to protect yourself in future? Absolutely. You know, when I was first starting out, I had no idea what I was doing. So 
you know, when I would, I would try to be self-deprecating, but you can only do that to a point. And then your subject starts to wonder why they've wasted their time yeah. being with you. So there's, there's plenty of shoots in, early on for me where I didn't really know what I wanted and I didn't have any direction. And I was just sort of hoping that something would happen. And what, when I did that, the results weren't great. So I learned the more that I was in control of myself and, and where I wanted the shoot to go, the better the results were. I mean, there's always going to be opportunities for things to happen that are unexpected and, and to go off in a direction that you didn't expect. Uh, but you have to be confident in your ability to at least get, you know, the one shot that will get you through that'll, you know, the one or two shots that, you know, we're going to work. And then once you do that, you can sort of explore a little bit more, um, you know, your portraits have, I personally find them to be very natural and to be almost very warm in the sense of and like the emotional connection with the the subject, but also they have like a almost tactile painterly feel in the actual presentation. What are your influences that that have led you to have the style that you have? Oh, that's tough. Um, I mean, there's a lot. Uh, I, I look to a lot of um, sort of Renaissance painting. As a as an initial reference, um, there's very classic portraits, Dutch painters and, and the Italians, and um, but I also look at things like Dorothea Lange, uh, who's one of my favorite photographers, um, Robert Capa, and and all those really great early photographer, early 20th century photographers who all found a sense of connection, and I think that's the biggest thing in my for me is connection. But as far as toning. Um, and the sort of aesthetics of the photograph, it's, I think it's just a combination of all the things that I've sort of absorbed over the years and, and finding just what appeals most to me. Um, but it also has to fit the, the subject. And, um, but I like, I like soft tones. I like soft light. Um, I, I definitely like things to have a painterly quality because I think those images are, are more timeless and they don't, they aren't as easily dated, so they'll have a longer lifespan. One thing that I think people, especially creative people, are pretty bad at is kind of collecting the perspective of what they've done over the years and how they've got to the point that they are in terms of style, whether that be directorial or their their editing, their photographic style, everything. Do, do you ever consider how difficult it is to do what you do, considering you're with subjects that you don't know in a lot of cases and for a short space of time to create images that have that that warmth and that timelessness obviously is testament to how far you've come. Do you, is it something you're consider you're considerate about or is it just something that's happened as you've gone on, you've just been yourself? I think it's, um, I mean, I've always tried to be myself and, and put myself into the photographs as much as I can. Um, but it's, it's, it's definitely something I've been conscious about and, and I'm always striving to, I've, I've always have pictures in my head that I want to make and I've always strived to get there. And it, it's a matter, I think of my skills catching up to, um, the vision side of it, you know, and, and yep. figuring out how, how to put the pieces together, what tools to use to get to, to the objective that I want to get to. Um, and a lot of that just comes from making mistakes and trying different things and, um, you know, not having any real formal training. Uh, it's just kind of sort of trial by fire and trial by error. But yeah, I'm definitely conscious of, of the overall aesthetic and body of my work and, um, trying to evolve that and while still staying true to myself. 
it's just something that I found fascinating through, I think about, we've done about 65 of these so far, is the number of people that, that do teaching as well as do photography. And they, they sort of teach themselves almost by externalizing what they do to someone else. They're teaching themselves almost what they're doing because a lot of it is subconscious. And it's it's always fascinating to see how people, how much of it is them um, consciously saying, I want to end up at this point and at this level. And the rest of it being just who they are as a person has kind of pushed them in a certain direction. With your work, something that's very different with you and with very few photographers, and it's becoming less and less, uh, you photograph tintype. Yes. Why? I really like the aesthetic of it. Um, Initially, that was what drew me to it. I I studied history in college and really fell in love with the the Matthew Brady photographs and Edward Curtis and um, all those photos from the late 1800s. And there's a certain... um, I think realness to some of those photos there there's you know it's it's very staged and it's very formal and, it, and it's it's very rigid and the process itself is very rigid um but there's something that really like the the way that the emulsion and the and the actual chemicals render color tone and skin tone um there's just nothing else like that. So initially it was, it was just the aesthetic. And as I started doing it, it became a real challenge technically um, to get the, the appropriate results. And I really like that it takes time and you have to really, you have to put a lot of time and effort into making these portraits work. Um, and it's a slow process. It's slow and it's fast uh, at the same time. Uh, but it's a slow process and, you know, you're spending 10 to 15 minutes to make one picture. You really, that's a lot of time to just say, oh, we messed this one. Let's, let's try another one. Um, so there has to be a lot of intention there. And it, it, it I think that helped my digital photography a whole lot as well and slowed my, slowed my process down. Um, and allows me a little bit more time to think and, and really make the photographs that I want to make. Are you a different photographer when you're shooting tintype compared to um, sort of what you're normally using, which I'm assuming is possibly digital? Are you a different yeah. photographer? Are you a, do, do you direct differently? Do you frame things differently for tintype? Uh, there's some differences. I mean, there's limitations to what the cameras can do. And obviously it's a much slower process. So there are some rigidity things that I need to, to make sure that people are, are sitting still and in the right position. And uh, I tend to shoot most of my tintype portraits pretty tight, but I shoot the majority of my digital things pretty tight as well. Um, so I don't think there's a whole lot of difference. There's some, you know, it's sort of, if, if we're going to make the comparison to, to say like a carpenter, you know, it's, you're looking to make, a, a different product, but you're, are you looking to, for the end, same product, but you're maybe using different tools to get there. So it will adjust, it will, you'll have to make adjustments to how you work, but overall, you know, I'm directing the same way and it's just a little bit slower. One of the things I absolutely loved seeing in the video featuring you creating these tintype portraits was your portable darkroom. Is that something that you still use? Yes. Yes. Um, it's sitting in my office right now. Um, it's basically just a cabinet um, that a friend and I built to fit into the back of a um, SUV so that I could travel. 
into intake tin types. So it, it opens instead of from on a vertical plane, it opens on a horizontal plane so I can dip in and then there's a dark cloth. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just basically a big box. <laughs> I mean, if you don't mind me asking, I, I'm fascinated by this. How did you learn to shoot tin type? Trial and error, mostly. Uh, I read a, uh, I bought a book that has, that sort of describes the process and how you do it and, and how to make all of the chemistry and, and, and all that, which uh, was really helpful, but it, it's only so helpful until you start actually applying it practically. Um, so the first time, my first experience with shooting tintypes was at uh, Sundance Film Festival. I went and assisted another photographer and we did, uh, it was her first time shooting tintypes as well. Uh, and I did all the darkroom work. Um, so in a period of five days, I think we did like 275 or 300 portraits. So it was uh, wow, sort of a, a, a just a jump in the deep end and see if we could figure it out. But yeah, initially, I mean, we made a lot of mistakes along the way and, and adjusted pretty quickly. But that was a pretty quick, uh, pretty quick way to learn. And then shortly after that, I was able to get a grant and spend about I don't know, four months just shooting tintypes. Um, so it was a, wow. a really deep, deep dive uh, into the process early on. And, and I don't shoot as much of them now. You know, I, I kind of go through phases of it where I'll shoot a bunch over a period of a couple months and then I'll put it down for a few months and then come back to it. And at, at this point, it, for me, I'd, I'd rather only do tintypes of, of people that I really, that really sort of jump out to me or really stand out rather than just mm-hmm. um, shooting anybody because they want one. Is that because you've become more familiar with the medium? And it's, um, I don't want to be, uh, the one thing I have to be careful with whenever I speak to anyone stateside is I don't want to sound too rude because English people always sound rude. But is it that the novelty of the actual medium has worn off and now you're using it more, the subject, as much as anything else? And to some extent, I mean, in the early, early first couple of years, it was a matter of, wanting to do as much as I could just to learn the process. So, but I still tried to be um, fairly discerning with who I would ask to, to be photographed. Um, and now it, I've, I've done events where, you know, I've done a couple of music festivals where I'll set up and, and um, you know, set up a booth and sort of charge people for a single portrait, but I don't, it's fun, but at the same time, it really, it's not the same experience as how I would normally run a session. So I, I really like to spend, you know, an hour or two with someone and, and shoot eight or 10 photographs and mm-hmm. make sure that we get a couple that are really, really great rather than saying a one and done. Um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with anybody who wants to do events, but it's just, it's not my, my cup of tea, so to speak. <laughs> hey, that's appropriating my culture. I drink a lot of tea, so my, oh, that's okay. My wife that's is okay. So. Oh, that's like English light, so that's that's fine. Yeah. If I could just work my way back here, why is it that you photograph music events? Uh, were you already attending the music events, and the photography just became part of it, or was there just an opportunity for you to get into it? Um, I've always been really interested in music, and music's always been a, a really big part of my life, and um, so it was sort of a natural thing for me i have a lot of friends who are musicians so i started out you know photographing them and then as their careers got bigger and my career got a little bit bigger i was able to transition into doing um some of the festivals and and 
and doing album cover work and promotional stuff for musicians. It's it's just a, a an area that I enjoy working with. It's you know, and I've made a lot of friends out of it. That's the short answer. Do you still get to enjoy the music at the festivals? Obviously, because you're photographing. Do you are you able to kind of still enjoy the festival and photograph as a separate thing, or have you just managed to integrate it all into one? It's tough. I mean, I'm not shooting a lot of live music, so I don't. There's a lot of stuff that I miss, which I'm I really get bummed about. But even if you're, you know, shooting from a pit or something, you've only got the first few minutes of the song, and uh, then you're off to the next stage or the next act. And, so it's tough. You don't get to enjoy a whole lot of it, but um, with what I do, um, at least for Newport, I, I take portraits, and then I also um, part of my duties are, are to get all the candid moments and sort of behind the scenes mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So I'll hang out on the back of the stage or in the backstage area, you know, on these outdoor festivals, and I get to hear a lot of it. Um, and I'll, you know, I can go up on the stage and sort of shoot from behind and things like that. So I get to experience some of it, but a lot of it in, in turns up ends up being a blur over the course of these like three day festivals. Um, and you get to see bits and pieces, and you know, there are certain artists, you know, that you hang around a little bit, a little bit longer for, and, and some you move on a little bit faster. But um, <laughs> you know, it's just that's just the way. I mean. With the scheduling is, you know, you have to. Newport is is four stages, so you have to kind of motor around quite a bit to, you know, to make sure you're not missing anything. And we we all, there, you know, but that team, there's six of us doing stills, and there's and a dozen people on a on a motions uh, team capturing content. So we all miss stuff. I mean, you can't ca- you can't cover it all. So um, yeah, that's just part of the nature of the beast. But you know. With the headliner acts at the end of the day, we're able to enjoy that a little bit more um, because things in the rest of the festivals have slowed down. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I get to see great moments, but I, I don't, I wouldn't say it's the same experience as buying a ticket and being in the audience. Do you have any particular acts that have kind of blown you away, or you've been so excited to have the opportunity to photograph? Um, yeah, there's there's a ton. Uh, Jeff Tweedy from Wilco. Uh, Roger Waters from Pink Floyd, um, Mavis Staples. There's, I mean, there's just a ton of legends um, that I've been able to interact with over the years. Do you ever find yourself getting nervous about around people that are that big in in sort of musical folklore? Um, not really. Um, the only thing I might get nervous about is, is making sure that I don't mess up the photo. Yeah, and making sure that my ca- my cameras are are set to the right settings, but dealing, you know, dealing with, with people, I have, I've never really been starstruck. The only time really was Dolly Parton. You know, I got to say hello and that was about it. But <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what are the activities that you do outside of photography? Because what a lot of people I think get wrong is they decide that they want to work in photography because they enjoy photography away from their regular job. And then when photography becomes their job, they don't have that thing that takes them away from their job. They don't have that kind of right. um, the ability to pull themselves out of their work. So what do you do right. to pull yourself out of your work? Yeah. When the, when the hobby becomes the profession, you don't have anything yeah. else to uh, I actually do a lot of fishing uh, here in okay. the city and I make fishing lures and uh, hang out with my wife. And, you know, but that, it's, we lead, we lead a pretty simple life for New York City. So uh, we like to cook a lot at home and uh, which carries over from my chef days. And, 
but yeah, it's been a lot of time when the weather permits. It's been a lot of time fishing around the city. The last couple of years, there seems to have been a bit of a resurgence with the popularity and um, the availability of film for film photography. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you're glad to see or is it something where you'd prefer it if it wasn't? I don't want to use the wrong word here, but it does feel in some cases it can be a bit hipsterish. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think film's great. You know, I, there's certain qualities of certain films that you just can't replicate digitally. Um, and I, I shot a lot of film early on too. That was part of my learning process. I bought, I bought a, a couple of, you know, 35 millimeter cameras and a, I had some various medium format cameras, large format cameras over the years and that shot film. But um, when I started shooting pin types, that sort of all went to the wayside because I only had so much money and bandwidth um, because film shooting film is expensive. Um, yeah. Shooting pin types is expensive. So I had to pick one. And so I went with, um, with tin types, but yeah, I, I mean, I would love to, to shoot all medium format. <laughs> Yeah, all medium and large format film, but it's just not feasible at this point. Um, but yeah, I love it. I think film's great. I think it's it's really important to to be able to be proficient with with film. Um, it just makes you a better photographer. I feel like we're finally figuring out, maybe in the last three or four years, across more than just um, photography, that something being outdated doesn't inherently mean that it's bad in the sense like vinyl has made a comeback because not because it's like cool or because people want to be quirky, but it actually has its own quality and you can enjoy it for what it is separate from what digital music is. And I feel like film photography, that's where it's going to really find itself is that it's not a replacement for digital and digital is not a replacement for it. They're just two separate things that do something similar and it's the process as much as it is the end product. Yes, and and the flip side of that is just because something is on vinyl or shot on film doesn't make it good either. Um, yes, you know there there has to be some some skill and talent there. You you can't rely on just the medium to get you past. And I, and I think that goes for tin types as well. A lot of people just get by on the novelty of it, um, but a lot of that fades away. And, and when you see people who are truly skilled, like. Um, like I, I think one of my favorite photographers right now who shoots a lot of film uh, is actually uh, UK based is Jack Davison. Um, mm-hmm. You know he he's shooting film in a way that people haven't used in a long time, and he shoot, and, it, and it looks well, well. It's a very old style that he's doing. It looks very fresh, and it, it's it stands out so much um, from what's going on. Uh, everywhere else right now, and, just, and you know, I see what he does, and I'm just my blows my mind. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but uh, very loosely, but yeah, I mean, the assumption generally is that everybody in England all knows each other, which is pretty close to true. <laughs> it's like that in New York too. I want to wrap up because I know that you've you've got a, a life to live, and you don't want to be spending your time talking to me on the phone. But I really do appreciate you taking your time. Yeah, it's my pleasure. My last question for you, in fact, if if you don't mind, can I ask two? Because I keep getting I keep getting sure. told off for not asking one of these questions. <laughs> I personally don't care about camera equipment in the slightest. I think it just is not relevant to the artist at all. That's like asking the paintbrush of the painter. It's just to me, it's not particularly relevant. Right. But I get told off if I don't ask this question by people that listen. So day to day, what is your camera equipment? Uh, yeah, the funny thing about that is, is I get that question all the time too. And people get pissed off uh, when I tell them because they don't like the answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have a, uh, a Canon um, uh, 5D Mark III mm-hmm. that I've had for a long time. And I have uh, 
I have a 35 millimeter fixed lens and I have a 50 millimeter fixed lens. And that's, that's pretty much all I use unless, you know, I'm at an event or something like that. If I'm at a, at a festival or something, I might, might run an 85 or a, or a 135, but pretty much I'll shoot, shoot all prime. Um, and yeah, the, and people sort of look at me and, and they just don't believe that I use simple, inexpensive. I mean, I, I don't even have L lenses. I have a, a Sigma 35 and then a, a Canon 51.4, which is like a $400 lens. So yeah, it's definitely, it's not the equipment. It's, it's how you use it. You know, and I have, I have two, two strobe lights and a couple of modifiers. And that's, that's pretty much my kit. Well, it's one of the weirdest parts about photography, I think, is that people will ask someone that's that's got to a point they want to end up at how they got there. And when they're told that the way to get there is the cheapest way, they reject it and they want to spend money to get there. It's it's really bizarre. Right. You don't see it with many other industries. No, but I mean, there there is to some extent, like depending on what you're shooting, what style you want to shoot, sure, there's better tools for... I mean, if you're a street photographer, you're going to want to like it. If you're a portrait photographer, you're going to want a medium format or, you know, or a, a full frame digital, but you know, if you're a wedding photographer, you're going to need zoom lenses and or long lenses and whatever, whatever else it may be. But you know, Nikon, Canon, whatever. It's it, the the technology is to a point now where I don't think it really matters. I say the same politically incorrect thing every time someone asks about which brand is best, which is that they're basically all made by the same children at this point. So just go with whichever one feels the best. <laughs> I went with Canon early on just because I like the ergonomics. Of it. Yeah, it fit my hand better, and I, I like the viewfinder better. But that—that that was the extent of my reasoning for going with Canon at, at the time when I knew zero about photography. And now I stick with it because I know the system and I know the limits of my camera and how far I can push it, you know, and how I can push the lenses. And I think, I mean, I spent five years with a fifty millimeter lens, and that was it. You know, that's all I shot was a fifty millimeter lens because that's all I could afford. I wasn't going to going to debt to buy camera gear. So um, when you really know the capabilities and the limits of what you can do with your equipment, it opens up all kinds of doors. Oh my God, yes, so much. If you spend all your time switching between lenses and camera bodies and different lighting setups, and then you don't know how to really get the most out of it. So I, my suggestion for people when they ask is buy, buy one lens that's a decent quality and, and shoot it until you feel like you're ready to move on to something else. Yeah, I think restriction is probably the best thing when it comes to growth for an artist is don't give yourself a million different tools to play with and and keep shifting your focus from genre to genre. Pick a genre, pick a lens, pick a camera and just shoot until you know absolutely everything and you can get every ounce of every ounce of quality out of anything that you own and anything that you're doing. Absolutely. And I will say there's one caveat. Uh, My 50 Mm -hmm. millimeter has a one of the elements is slightly out of place. So it it really throws an interesting sort of bokeh on the depth of field when I shoot right. shallows. That that lens gives me a little bit of an added advantage to to, to in some situations. And um, when I've had it worked on, I've just I've made sure to tell the technicians not to touch any of the elements. <laughs> well, you're gonna you're gonna have a load of people now upset because they've gone and hit their 50 mil 1.4 with a hammer to try and replicate the yeah. effect, and it's not gone too well. Yeah, but that's really only it when I'm shooting it like. Two eight or under, you know. If I'm shooting over that, you can't even. There's no difference, you know. And I'm not shooting completely wide open all the time. 
So my, as promised, my last question um, is just with the sense of perspective that you're in now, and I'm assuming with current events, you've had a little bit of time to look back over what's gone on over the last few years of your career and where you want things to go once this all dies down and we can get back to normality. Um, If you could go back and talk to yourself when you were right at the beginning of your journey as a photographer and give yourself a piece of advice that would enhance where you are now or perhaps make it a bit easier to get there, what would that piece of advice be? Oh, geez. Um, I think the, the biggest thing that I would say is, is, you know, when you get frustrated and you hit the walls, just remember, you know, it's, it's a journey and, and you have to look at the big picture. You know, for me, I'm very impatient and especially when it comes to my career, you know, I get frustrated when the, the emails aren't, aren't coming in or the phone calls aren't about work are coming in, but then I have to take a step back and say like, oh, I've done a lot of stuff and, you know, a little less than a decade. And I came into this, you know, with a lot less knowledge than a lot of people do and, and that haven't been able to find the success that I have. And my success is very moderate, I feel. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just patience and perseverance. And, and um, the one thing that I've, I've always done is, is, and I think partly because of my time in the restaurant business is you just keep pushing forward, you know, whether the times are tough or not, you know, you just have to keep, keep making work, keep pushing forward. And if the stars align and you, and you work hard enough, things will start to, to get traction. Really good advice. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. What we always do at the end of these is make sure that people know where they can go to find your work. So if you could just let us know your social media and your websites and people can find you through that. Sure. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been great talking to you. And my Instagram is just at Josh Wool, and my website is joshwool.com. Very easy. Thank you so much again for doing this. It's been an absolute privilege to talk to you. Likewise. Thanks for having me and uh, stay well. Mm-hmm.